How's it going, Voice Church? How you guys doing? Well, hey, listen, if it's your first time here, we haven't met yet. My name is Mike, and uh, Pastor Taka and Natalie give me the opportunity to speak sometimes. So uh, if what I say today you hate, you don't like my vibe, that's fine. Just email me at takaaguchigang at gmail.com, and I would love to field all of your questions, your concerns, and your frustrations. So uh, no, man, but I'm really excited about being here this week, and I really feel like God has a, uh, a word that he really wants to share with us. Um, but before I get into that, can we just pray? Can we just pray? It has been a crazy week. It has been a crazy year. And I just think the best thing that we could do right now as a family is just pray. So will you guys pray with me real fast? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for today. God, I thank you for your word and how true and how amazing it is. God, I ask right now that you would just open up our hearts to receive and our ears to hear, to really hear what you're trying to say to us through your word. We love you, Lord Jesus. And it's in your name we pray these things. Amen. I don't know about you, man, but I just feel better when I pray. So here's the thing, guys. We've been in a series called Hello, My Name is Jesus. Uh, We are in a deep dive through the book of Luke, uh, going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, just talking about who Jesus was, what he did, what he talked about, what he cared about, and how he acted and lived while he was here on this planet. So we are going to be in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13, going through 34. So let's just jump right in. I hope you guys are ready because I am ready to preach. So here we go. It says in Luke chapter 12, verse 13, it says this. Then someone called from the crowd. So this is someone that's in the crowd with Jesus and he's calling out to Jesus. says, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Now we can see through the context, this is obviously a little brother tattling on the older brother. I know we can't really prove that, but that's how my household ran. Like Every time I had a grievance with my older brother, I always ran to someone who would give me the time of day and listen, and I would share my grievance with them. So this guy says, teacher, please tell my brother to divide the father's estate with me. And Jesus replied, friend, who am I or who made me a judge over you to decide such a thing as that? Then he said, then Jesus said, beware. Matter of fact, in scripture, there's an exclamation point. So he really said, beware, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Guard against every kind of greed. Now, I think it's important to stop here for a minute and really address uh, a word that is really crucial, not just to this sentence, but to the whole passage that we're going to talk about today. And the word is greed, greed. So let's look at it. In its original Greek language, it's actually the same word used as covet or covetousness. And this is the definition of greed. The desire for more things, lusting for a greater number of temporal things that go beyond what God determines is eternally best. I'll read that one more time. This is the definition of greed in the Bible. It says the desire for more things, lusting for a greater number of temporal things that go beyond what God determines is eternally best. So when Jesus is saying, go on guard against all kinds of greed, what he's really saying is, go on guard against lusting after a greater number of temporal things that go beyond what God determines as eternally best in every area. So the question has to be asked, according to this context, is it has to be asked, am I determining my life or is God? Am I determining my life, what happens, how much I make, where I live, who my friends are, the things I do, or is God determining those things? Am I consulting him on this stuff? For example, uh, I grew up not extremely wealthy, all right? 
I grew up not having a whole lot of money, which was fine because me and my brother had no idea. You don't really know how broke you are until you have money, right? So like we would be like, oh, the toaster's not working. It's fine. Just smack it on the side. It'll be fine. Or like our power would sometimes go out unbeknownst to us that there's like cats underneath our trailer, like chewing at our wires, right? Like we just didn't know. Like it was like a fun game. Like the, the power goes out, we'd all yell, and then everyone would try to make a break for the electrical box, right? Like it's just fun. Like we just didn't care. Like we didn't realize. But then when I was 16, my mom was working her butt off, and she actually gave me my first car, right? So some of you parents out there who are watching this, you were, like, mortified, right? But my mom is amazing, and she actually gave me my first car. It was a Chevy Malibu, a 1998 Chevy Malibu. It was, like, this tan, gold, weird color, but it was awesome, and I loved it. And I rode the mess out of the thing. It was great. But when I was 18 years old, I came into some money. For some pretty crazy circumstances, I came into some money, and it was my senior year of high school, prom was coming up, and my car had actually died, so I was in the market for a brand new car, and I came into more money than an 18-year-old should come into, and so my first action as an 18-year-old with money was, I'm going to go get me a new car. So I went to all these different car dealerships in my, in my hometown, and I drove around. I was looking for everything, and I was like, I'm going to get what I want. And here's the thing. At that time, I was following Jesus, but I didn't really, like, understand this whole idea of who God is, his lordship, and how it works in my life, and how it'd be a good idea to consult him on some things, kind of like a purchase of a new car. So in my own strength, in my own understanding, in my own wisdom, I went out and I did the thing that most 18-year-olds with a lot of money would do. I went and spent $25,000 on a vehicle. Now, don't get it twisted. It was an awesome vehicle at the time. It was a Chrysler 300. It was brand new. It was all black, two-tone inside. It was amazing. But here's the thing. It was cool for about five months. For about five months. And as things tend to do when they're new, the newness kind of lost its appeal. And I very quickly realized that I was out $25,000. Now, some could say lesson learned. It was for sure. But here's the thing. I wonder what would have happened. I wonder what my life would have looked like a little bit differently had I just consulted God rather than living for my own way of doing things. And that's where this phrase, be on guard, is so important. Jesus says to be on guard. Now, this is not a lax position. It's an active one. And that's the point. It's the same kind of position he, Jesus told his disciples in the garden when he said, no, get up, pray with me, be on guard. Otherwise, Satan will overtake you. Be on guard. See, because if we're too loose in our guard duty over our heart and our mind, we will let the enemy come right up the wall and into our camp and destroy everything we have worked so hard to build. To be on guard in this way, Jesus is talking, uh, he's using this almost like analogy, like you're, you're an archer on a wall, like you're attack ready. You guys ever watch the show Friends when Ross is, talks about that like unagi mentality, right? Like you're always on the ready. Like you're always ready for whatever's going to spring up on you. And including this specifically, he says, be on guard against greed. Almost in a way like you're an archer on a wall, making sure, constantly looking to see what is coming your way. Let's keep going. Jesus says this. He says, life is not measured by how much you own. People of America, can I get an Amen. Life is not measured by how much you own. And I don't even feel like I need to camp on this. It's pretty self-explanatory. At the end of your life, you will not care. I promise you. You may care now, but you will not care what kind of car you drive, all the friendships that you worked so hard to maintain. Like those things, like they're great, but they're not what life is measured by. 
It's not measured by how much you own. Then Jesus told them a story. He says, then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. So the narrative switches. Now this is the rich man talking to himself. He said, he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones because that's just what we do. We don't have enough room for our stuff, so we get more stuff to make room for our more stuff. That's just what we do because far be it for him to actually give his excess away to people in need. That's crazy because what happens when he needs it? And I don't know about you, but we all have the drawer in our, ho- in our house, the shelf in our room or in our garage where it's constantly fi- piling up with things that we may need at some point. Come on, I'm not the only one. We all have the drawer we go into. We open the thing and we have that thing that's been traveling around with us almost like the traveling pants. It's like that one tool or the one thing that you, the button that you have or whatever. And you're like, you know what? I, how many of y'all have a button in your home that you've been holding on to just in case the other one falls off? They never fall off. They never fall off. You won't ever need that button. Just toss it away, bro. Watch, you're going to go home all psyched up to go throw it away. And you're going to get there. You're going to have it in your hand. You're going to be like, but I, I might need this one. Now. I'm going to just put it back in the, in the drawer. But he says, then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you've, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now some of you may be annoyed with the way I said that, emphasizing the eyes and the mys, and But I was reading it because I wanted to convey... I think Jesus' attitude of the man he was trying to, de- to depict, and we all have this person in our life, the I personality, right? Like the I personality. And I'm not talking about the energetic socialite. I'm not talking about the golden retriever type mentality on the disc test. I'm talking about the I mentality person. The me. It's all about me. It's all about what I have. It's all about what I can gain, what I can do. It's all about the I mentality. Like the same person is the person that gets the Apple products, not because they like the functionality, but because they all have like I in the beginning. Like that person. But God said to this man, who has made it all about himself, all about what he can acquire, what he has, what he can store up. He says, you fool. You fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? And this is where Jesus is about to drop a bomb, especially on us right now, because we're living in a culture, if I can just be so bold to say, we're living in a culture where we don't like to be told we're wrong and we don't like to be confronted and we definitely don't like to be um, offended. We don't like to be offended. And whenever there's a statement, like a factual statement made, it's instant offense for a lot of us because we find ourselves on one or two sides of that. And we don't like that right now. But this is what Jesus says. He says, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. But do you see the beautiful caveat that God throws in there for you? Because he didn't say that you're a fool to store up earthly wealth, period. Matter of fact, there's some verses in the Bible that actually praise you for believing in inheritance for generations to come. So he's not saying that it's bad for you to store up earthly wealth. What he's saying for you is that you're a fool if you store up earthly wealth but don't have a rich relationship with God. 
Now, as harsh as, some, as that may sound to some of you, it's the truth. But here's the thing. If we spend all of our time investing in and taking care of and taking pride in what we can accumulate here on this side of eternity on earth and not paying attention to God or his eternal kingdom, then we are going to find ourselves constantly living for what Jesus told us to be on guard of or on guard against, and that is the temporal, the things that wither and fade away. I saw a pastor use this analogy once, and I, I want to use it for you guys because I think it is, it's a really good one. So if you've seen this before, bear with me. If not, uh, take this in. But I have this rope here, and I want you to pretend that this rope just goes on for forever. Just pretend that this rope goes on for eternity. Like, it just keeps on going. Like, it just keeps on going. Now, at the end, there's this little, little black part on this rope. And what this is supposed to signify is supposed to uh, symbolize our lifespan here on earth. So whether that's the, 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 the 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, however long you're living on this earth, this is what this is supposed to signify. So this is our life on this earth, and this end of this rope that keeps going on is eternity. And so often I run into people who are living for just this little portion right here, like not even the fullness of it, but like this part, like right here, like when I get this job, when I get this car, when I get this much money in the bank, when I have these many bank accounts, when I have this and or that, we live so much for this little portion right here that we can continuously forget about all of that. And this is what happens when we focus on things that are temporal. When you're in the wrong relationship, you know you shouldn't be in, but right now it's giving you temporary feelings that you crave. This isn't just a financial talk or a possessions talk. There's a lot of things in our life that we're living for on this side of eternity that we are going to forfeit all of that for this. And it's crazy, though, because I hear so many people around voice feel bad. They feel bad about, and, and you'll read this verse and you'll misunderstand what God is saying. And you'll even take that analogy and you'll misunderstand what I'm saying. And this is the thing. I hear so many people at voice say uh, they feel bad because of the, the, the nice clothes that they have or the nice car that they have or the nice house that they have. Or they go out to crazy, you know, expensive dinners and they feel bad. They almost feel like they're unfaithful or like they're not following God. But can I just tell you, who cares? Let me ease your spirit and ease your heart. Who cares? I really do hope. And I, man, I, I hope you see my face. I hope you have money. I hope you get to experience amazing and beautiful things. I hope you have a fancy car. Come pick me up and then take me out to dinner. I'm down. I hope you have those things. You know why? Because I'm a dad and I love giving good gifts to my kids. I love it when we get to go to a gas station and they have these little juices with like the little figureheads on them. Some are like Iron Man or PJ Masks or whatever. And they're a little bit more expensive than just like regular juice. I love being able to give them just good gifts. How much better is God than me as a father? So I know that it brings him joy to bring you joy. And, but here's the thing. Have this stuff. I pray you have this stuff. But even more than that, I pray this stuff doesn't have you. And that's the thing, is man, have the money, have the car, have the house. It's a beautiful thing. It's a blessing. All good and perfect things come from the Father above. But in that, have the stuff, but do not let the stuff have you. Everything we are given on this side of eternity brings us into a stewardship. A good steward reaps the benefit of the trust of his master. God gives seed to the sower, scripture says. So the more God can trust you to be generous, the more he'll be generous with you.
because you are prioritizing his priorities. He can trust you with the money, with the time, the energy, the resources, and the relationships because he knows it'll go toward his kingdom. It's okay to have nice things as long as the nice things don't have you. Scripture says it continues on. It says, then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, this is why we tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? And don't be concerned about what to eat or drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your father already knows your needs. I really want us to hear what this verse is saying. This verse is not saying that you will never deal with doubt. And if you are a faith-filled person, you will never have a concern. I don't know about you, but I have had plenty of times in my life, even recently, especially during 2020, where I have had concerns about my finances and some clothes. And I've also had very big disagreements with my stomach and my wallet. They've been mad disagreements sometimes. This verse is not saying that if you believe in Jesus, you'll never doubt. On the contrary, I actually believe that if you follow Jesus, like really follow Jesus, doubt will be a normal occurrence. It says that these thoughts, these concerns dominate the thoughts of the unbeliever. Dominate. This word dominate means to go after intensely to all you can think about. Basically, it means you obsess over these things, which all that comes down to priorities. Priorities in life and whose priorities you're going after. If you're taking notes, I don't want to presume you are, but if you are, you can write this down. If you're living for self, your worries will be overwhelming. If you're living for self, your worries will be overwhelming. If you're living for God, your worries end where your trust in him begins. If you're living for God, your worries end where your trust in him begins. So I have a question. It's kind of a three-part guy. But over the course of this next week, over the next few months, I want you to dive into this. And I really believe that if you answer this question with yourself honestly and in the presence of God, I really feel like there's going to be some internal revelation and healing that happens with you and God. So here's the thing. Are you worried about what and why? Are you worried about what and why? Are you worried? Man, of course I'm worried. It's 2020. Have you not seen? Yes, I'm worried. Well, about what? Man, coronavirus, my job, family, the election. Of course I'm worried. That's what I'm worried about. Why? Why? And that question right there will really show you where you're at internally with your faith and your trust in God. And that's where you start. I'm not harping on you. It's a beautiful thing. If you come to a conclusion with that why question at the end that you're not satisfied with, that's a beautiful place to start. In the last few verses, it says this. It says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. He will give you everything you need. Need, not want. There's a big difference, and that's really important. He will give you everything you need, not want. Because sometimes the things you want aren't things that will do you any good. Like when my kids want candy at 6.30 in the morning. It's what they want, but it's definitely not what they need. Not, it's not what I need. I need sleep. 
Last few verses, it says this. It says, so don't be afraid, little flock. For it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give it to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. It is common and human to worry and chase after these things. But can I just tell you that God wants something greater for you than common. God wants something greater for you than common. He is not blind. He sees every need you have. It says seek his kingdom. It does not say seek God. It says seek his kingdom, which is to put God's priorities and initiatives as your highest priority and initiatives. To actively invest into what God is doing in and around the world. That is how you seek his kingdom. And, when, and he says that when you do that, he takes care of the rest. So as I'm closing, I want to leave you guys with three questions in light of everything that we've talked about. So number one. Does God have access to your faith, your finances, and your future? Does God have access to your faith, your finances, and your future? Or are you living so close-fisted with all of those things that you don't give him word and edgewise? Does he have access? In the moments where you aren't so faith-filled, does he have access to come in and to help you with that? In your finances, when you have zero idea how you're going to do it in your own power to make things happen, does he have access to that portion and your future? Do you have everything so methodically planned out that God doesn't have access or wiggle room into leading you like a good shepherd would? Number two, how much access does he have and where do you draw the line? How much access does he have and where do you draw the line? Someone reminded me today, it's like when Gandalf says, thou shall not pass, and right? It's like, where does that for you with God? In every area of your life, relationships, finances, whatever it may look like, where is that place with God for you? I've had so many conversations in my life where people are, they're so like up on their high horse that they give their 10%. And I promise, there's this one time I was out And I was out with some people and saw someone in need and uh, I gave them, it wasn't much, just a couple things, whatever. And they were like, bro, why would you do that? I'm like, don't you tithe? I go, yeah, why? I go, man, that's the bare minimum. Like to trust God with the finances that he himself gave you in the first place, that's not a, is that really, I mean, yeah, it's faith and sometimes it's hard and I get that, but where do you draw the line with God? Is it what's expected of you or do you allow him to take you a little deeper than that? With your relationships, is it just surfacey stuff or do you actually let people in to really know you? Where do you draw the line? And last question, how can you give him more? How can you give God more? He gave us everything. I think it's a proper response. More than proper. It's what we do. How can you give God more? 
So as we get ready to pray, man, I want you guys to go over these questions with your family, some close friends. Maybe you're in a small group and go over them with them, but does God have access to your faith, your finances, and your future? How much access does he have and where do you draw the line? And how can you give him more? Because I promise you, the more you give, the more he gives. The more he can trust you with little, the more he gives you. So we guys pray with me real fast. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word, God. God, we're entering into, we just got done with election season. We're entering into holiday season and it just 2020 feels like it just keeps coming. So any little amount of more that's being asked of us just seems so difficult. And it just, we kind of just throw our hands up in the air, God, and be like, man, what? Like, what else do I have to do? But God, I just, I thank you for your word in these moments where even when we're in seasons like that of frustration or, or the unknowing, God, I thank you so much that you give us your word to lead us and guide us and to be gracious and patient with us. So God, as we take today and really think about what your word is talking about in these passages, God, about where our priorities are at with you and our kingdoms we're building here on this earth and your eternal kingdom, God, I pray you would lead us in all wisdom, God. Lead us to the path of everlasting life, Jesus. And give us the strength to answer you, Father. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.